Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Rovere. I am an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. My passion is to reach out to the lost, to encourage those whom the world seems unlovable. I'm a big advocate for prison recidivism. This punishment-minded style prison system here in America does not work. I've been involved in prison aftercare and outreach for over 20 years, most of my adult life. Um, this is the only podcast where the serial killers call into the show. Today, I am very, very pleased to announce we are going to be hearing from a good friend of mine, Dana Gray. I've known Dana, gosh, probably five years or so, four or five years for a long time now. And I'm not exaggerating when I say I probably talk to her every day, at least for the past couple of years, whether it's a phone call. Uh, some facilities have um, tablets where they can email, they can send pictures, they can send 30-second video clips through apps called JPay, uh, Securist. They're probably the two big ones. Uh, there's a few others out there, but they're the two big ones. Um, so almost every day I get an email from Dana. Um, she's a big advocate for uh, women's rights in the facility. A lot of people look up to Dana. Um, yes, she's a violent offender, a serial offender, a serial killer, if you will. Um, but she's come a long way. Um, my first book, Serial Killers in Heaven and Victims in Hell, question mark, uh, she actually wrote the foreword to that book. Uh, and in my new book, The Story of You, of you, Masaki, and that's when people ask me, The Story of You, why owe you? No, it's actually why you. Uh, it's you, Masaki's first name, you, Masaki. Story of you out now. Um, I tell a story about Dana Gray there, uh, and it's a story I've told a million times. If you follow me on social media, you've probably heard of this story. It was two Mother's Days ago. If you know Dana, I'm sure you do, uh, she murdered multiple women. Uh, in the press, you might have heard that the women reminded her of her abusive mother, and she took it out on them. She really just went, went to go on shopping sprees. I mean, yes, she was she had a very abusive uh, childhood, um, but it was more about the money. Yes, there is there's mommy issues there, of course, but the spending sprees that she went on, um, just an extremely violent and volatile temper. Um, but her unit can hold up to about eight people. I think we'll hear from her in, in a few minutes. Um, comfortably holds four or five people. Well, a few Mother's Days ago, um, there was a pretty nasty woman uh, living in her, in her we call it a cell, but her room, her dorm, if you will, um, was getting in her face, being very, very aggressive towards her. Now, if this is back in the real world, back in the day, yeah, she could have ended up dead, or she would have at least been attacked and try to be strangled. Uh, but, um, and it's an amazing story, um, and she wrote me a great email I've shared on the post before, her initial reaction back in the day would have been to attack violently, but her reaction was to show mercy and compassion and kindness. And she said she thought of all of myself and her conversation over the years of me encouraging her to be a better person, uh, to change her life and to focus on the positive things and not the negative things as positive reinforcement. Uh, and she wrote, she initially thought of our conversations, not that I want to attack her, but her natural tendency was to show her compassion. As an artist, and we'll get into that for here from her a little bit about her art, um, she was making homemade Mother's Day cards for some other women at the fil facility. So I don't figure, I figured it was later that day, um, or maybe the following day. Instead of confronting her, she gave her a Mother's Day card that she personally made for her and totally 
totally deflated the situation. The women started crying, broke down in tears, was apologetic. They hugged it out. They said from the food that they had, they made Mexican food and danced the Mexican music all night and had a wonderful Mother's Day. Rehabilitation works, even for those who have a psychopathic mind and for serial killers. This is just one little positive story. Um, but there's numerous ones out there. I said I've been in prison facilities um, uh, just helping out with rehabilitation and aftercare for so many years. There's countless, countless stories. Uh, and I booked a story of you. You can really read more and get in-depth um, about um, progress in a psychopathic mind. And you don't have to be a killer to be a psychopath. Uh, some people you walk around every day cannot feel empathy, uh, have no fear. Uh, we're we're going to get to that in future episodes. But today, we are going to hear from Dana. So I first asked her um, about her artwork. You know, when did she get started? When did she know uh, she had this skill? And where did it all come about? No, I taught myself in here. I used to do screen printing. So I did a little bit of that. And I learned kind of some basic color mixture and that. Then when I was in county, you know, I was there for four years and nine months, I started to do like little weird art. And um, I would take these plastic spoons and put in Skittles and melt the color off of it. And then I would take a razor blade and cut a hunk of my hair out and use the strings on a towel and tie it to a pencil. And that was my brush. And I, I worked from there. And so I started to, like, learn, you know, kind of color in what I had drawn. And I used to do pen and ink and watercolor in um, high school. But it wasn't something I did a lot on the streets. And then um, I got into acrylic. I did a lot of watercoloring uh, through the years in here. And then I tried uh, acrylic. And it was real different. And then I got hooked on it because I could paint it thick, and I'm a texture person. I like to feel the painting. And then um, I got into some, I got a starter kit uh, last year of some stuff, and it had molding paste in it. And I go, hmm. And then I started screwing around with that. And um, like, you know, there's a lot of that in your snake. Mm. The snake I painted? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so you can, that's what made it raised. I mixed the paint with that molding paste. And um, so I'm just kind of learning how to use those mediums, but I really like them. I used to do just stick painting, I would just like to use a lot of paint. And then I have this little texture thing, uh, thing where I have the paint on the brush and I roll the brush as I pull it to make like a a ropey thing, <laughs> and I just kind of taught myself just by screwing around. That's all. Oh, that's amazing. Nobody's really taught me. A... Oh, thanks. Nobody taught me a thing with acrylic. Wow. I took a few hit, a few little lessons uh, with watercolor from artists here and there and here, but the acrylic, that's all me. Do they have any art classes there at all, or uh, how about you? I mean, do you teach it all there? Is anybody interested in uh, um, learning how? Um, no, nobody ever, I don't really know anybody else that, uh, does stuff. Oh, like that. okay. Oh, wow. Okay. It's really, it, it's weird. It's not a lot of artists in here. But uh, what okay. I'd like to do eventually down the road when I feel better is I want to work with, the um, this group of girls called the in-betweeners mm -hmm. and they're not quite the youth committee and they're not the senior committee. They're in between. 
Yeah. Okay. And they, this group is so active, and they're so cute, and they're the, they're the biggest group. Oh wow! And they're really good at that gathering stuff. I've donated a lot of like half food paint and stuff to them, <laughs> paper or whatever. Brushes. I like went through and cleaned out all my supplies and gave them uh, all a bunch of extra stuff. Oh, cool! And then, um, so I would like to do a card clinic with them. Well, certainly, let me know if you need anything. I'd be happy to supply you guys with, you know, as many art supplies as uh, as you need. Okay. Um, I would like to like put like make four tables and then just put paints and brushes and cardstock and glitter, and glitter, 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 <laughs> and like you know that kind of thing. Maybe for a holiday, like yeah, whatever. of course, maybe. Maybe Easter or uh, Mother's Day, maybe next year. I don't know. So, so they would have a card to send home. That's a wonderful idea. I mean, does the facility help you out at all? No one obviously wants to. I would hope they would think uh, it's a great idea to help encourage everybody and something positive. Do they uh, offer anything as far as supplies go? Well, they gave us a bunch of new furniture, these plastic tables and chairs. They're not bad. Mm-hmm. The tables are pretty big. Oh, nice. And, um, so I thought if we could set up four of those and put four people at each one, that's 16 people, and we could rotate. Oh, wow. You know, or you can come and go and fill in. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, they could make one card. Well, I want them to make two cards. One to donate, mm-hmm. because then we can send those cards to the ladies that are in the skilled nursing facility. Oh, okay. And they'll be hand hand decorated from the girls in the honor dorm and maybe make somebody happy back there that's second like this cold it's locked in little yeah. hospital thing and they yeah. don't jack back there. I spent time back there when I had my surgery last time and it's it's pretty dismal. Oh, so okay. um, they have a little game room and stuff but you know it's just some of those ladies are bedridden and you know hard and yeah. it'd be nice to send them a little card. No, but I, I, a random thing. No, it would probably mean the world you to know, them. That'd, that'd be amazing. Yeah, For yeah. Sure. So I like to do stuff like that. Yeah. And then, um, or uh, I thought oh, I kind of wanted to do it with uh, well, the three of us roommates, and then my other American Indian friends. I was going to take my stuff in the game room and um, do some handprint turkey. That's awesome. You know, I still got my handprint Thanksgiving Day turkey hanging on my wall. <laughs> right. So, uh, I don't know if they want to do them. Yeah, if they want to do them, they want to do them. I don't know. Yeah. It depends on what's going on with me with medical. Of you know, those are always fun, too. Yeah, Last year, I, I um, painted everybody up, and we made our handprints on the window side of our room. Each one of us, and then I went out and put the feathers on there, and a girl came behind me, a roommate, and glittered them, and um, it was fun. Now, something that I know gives you as much, if not more, joy than artwork is skydiving. I mean, I've talked to you over the years long enough to know how much joy that I has brought you over the years. I know I'm not jumping out of a plane unless it's on fire and have a parachute, Um but when did that all come about? When did you first decide to jump out of a perfectly good plane <laughs> for enjoyment? I was 16, and um, my half-brother took me up to the skydive airport because he was um, doing some jumps. Not, he, was a, he was like a novice. And so I went up in the airplane with him because you can go on an observer ride. 
and watch people jump out right there in front of you. And so we were in this old old Cessna, and um, there were like four of us in there. And I watched him go, and it was and the doors off, right? And I'm strapped in, and I'm like, oh my god! It was just like I had to do it because growing up, I had dreams of flying. I mean, that was just a recurring dream for me as a kid. I would run really hard down the street and jump up and fly around the neighborhood. <laughs> and I remember those dreams to this day. And um, and real low, too, over the houses. It was real weird. And um, so I told my brother, I go, I want to do that. So on Cinco de Mayo, 1974, um, I had, uh, had to have permission. So I, we got somebody to pose as my dad, and he signed the release form, and I made my first jump, and it, that was a wrap. It was done. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, started skydiving, had about 30, 35 jumps before I actually told my dad, and he was like flabbergasted because, what? And I used to ditch school and all kinds of shit and go drive out in my first car, my 1958 VW Bug, with an accordion sunroof and those little taillights. I drive like an hour up to the uh, airport and uh, start having a whole ass home and pretend I've been out collecting bugs for biology or some shit. <laughs> and <laughs> I did not jump in. And <laughs> so when I told him, he goes, well, do you need some stuff for that? And I go, yeah. And then I was like, yay. And I got all my own stuff and it was really cool. And then I um, got kicked out of the house for smoking pot and at 17, and um, then my dad and I made up and come out and um, watch me skydive. So I put him in a DC, no, I put him in a Howard. I don't know if you know what that is. No. It's like a four-seater. Mm-hmm. And st- an strapped him in and he got to watch, so that was kind of So do you show your friends that Grand Canyon flick? <laughs> no, I haven't yet. Just share it. I will. Uh, I'll post it to my uh, to my TikTok page so everybody can see. Just say, "Hey, I know that chick. Yeah, that's that's my friend, man." <laughs> that's right. But well, were you actually allowed to skydive into the Grand Canyon? Another guy that uh, I guess led the trip. Uh, what that was, that was like jump number two thousand, I think, for him. So I'm assuming he would be considered an expert uh, skydiver, or maybe he was just allowed to do it, or um, or maybe he had to get a special permit for that. Um, so were you allowed to do it, or you just you weren't allowed, but you guys did it anyway? Was arrested. You were you were arrested? Yeah. Um, we planned it. We did reconnaissance missions, had our stash spot and everything for the film and our gear. And um, of course, you know, remember the part where my parachute collapsed? Oh yeah, at the v, uh, the very end, right? Yeah, and then I landed in the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that prolonged everything, and there just happened to be this lady walking down the trail, and she walks across the bridge and goes into the Bright Angel campground with them. Um, what do they call them? You know, the rangers are. And she says, hey, that's pretty cool. You have skydiving here every weekend. And he said, what? And then he got on his little way, and... Of course, because I had the delay, and we were the last ones to take off from our landing zone, um, we got caught. Me, the other girl from Sweden, and my best friend. And um, we got busted, but we only had one person's worth of gear. 
So they made us go back to the, well, walk all the way back to the ranger place and then right into Packrath, took our gear, confiscated it, wrote us tickets, and told us we had to go to the magistrate the next day. And so we were like, oh my God. And um, <laughs> if the film survived, everybody else got away. We had a ground crew and everything. And um, so he goes, how did you uh, get down here? And we said, we walked, but our shoes are clean. That's a dusty trail. It's, it's almost 10 miles, you know? And it's like eight, maybe eight point something miles. It's a long walk down there. And uh, so he took our stuff, bought our tickets, and we had to walk out. And so we walked out, got together with our friends. We're like, oh, bummer. So we partied hard that night. <laughs> I went the next day and lied and said it was only one of us that jumped in and us two girls who helped my friend. So we got half the um, amount of fines and he got a full fine. Mm. But what they, he, they couldn't figure out that they couldn't nail us because we only had one skydiving gear, one, mm. one rig. They really, they had no idea how she and I got down there. So what could they do? So we wrote a check, and took off, went and got our gear, and boy, they were mad. Super <laughs> mad. Super mad. You know? And um, then I went back there when I was married. See, that was, what, 1980? I went back, got married in the 90s. Somewhere at the late 90s. No, early 90s. I went back, and... My husband was going to, you know what you control is, those little airplanes? Yeah, yeah. On the end of a line. So we were going to a you control contest. And I go, hey, um, let's go, go up to the North Rim, you know? And um, let's go. I want to show you. We'll go to the edge. And you know, I kind of want to go there and look down there again. I've been there 10 years. And um, we went to the bar. And I asked the bartender, I said, hey, wasn't there some skydivers here a while back? And he goes, he knew the whole story. So I just sat there and let him tell me the story, you know, and just, wow. <laughs> yeah, just relive the whole, oh, yeah, they were blah, 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 they got, you know, legal, you know, and I go, really? <laughs> That's was funny. funny. I couldn't say nothing, you know. Yeah, it's cool. How many jumps do you think you've done? Me? Yeah. Oh, hardly any, really. Like, I was a novice of 200, nothing. All my friends were like 1,500. And that was, that was 2000 for the one guy. That's why we did it there. He wanted number 2000 into the canyon. Yeah, but a couple hundred jumps for you. That's, <laughs> that's a lot to me. No, that's really nothing. Wow. And, um, I don't even, yeah, just a, maybe 200, maybe just over 200. But they were meaningful. <laughs> Well, that's oh, it's still an expert to me, <laughs> for sure. Um, was the Grand Canyon the only, uh, um, daredevilish one, I guess you could say, or you guys make a habit of doing some dangerous jumps, if you will. Well, the places I've jumped are extremely um, high risk. That would be or just all at the airport. Mm. Uh, I've made some jumps up, you know, various illegal locations. <laughs> what kind of places specifically, like uh, like other mountainous ranges or? Just places that just have a you know a gorgeous scenic view. Scenic view, or like into somebody's party, or you know stuff like that. 
Yeah, power lines around. The most interesting part of that jump was that um, you know the Grand Canyon's pretty deep, mm-hmm. and so five thousand feet, and so we got out about five thousand feet above that, maybe six, and so you're it looks close, and then as soon as you go, you fell into the canyon, your peripheral vision completely filled up, and that was the weirdest feeling to have nothing but earth around you, and um, so it went, you're going light, dark, <laughs> really, really weird. Oh, wow. Did it kind of mess up your death perception also? Yeah, it did It did a little bit. I mean, we all have altimeters, so we know where we're at, but visually, it was weird. And uh, then once you get open in there, uh, we didn't know how swirly the winds were inside mm. and how strong it was. And it was super early in the morning, so we thought it would be calm. It wasn't at all, and um, me being a lightweight, I couldn't penetrate very well. And that, that losing that forward speed on the parachute collapse and reopened uh, was squeezed me up. I almost landed in the river. You know, that was the end of the landing area. Yeah, yeah. There's my my Andy Warhol, fifteen minutes of fame. That's such a great story. I was going to ask you too. Whatever happened to that? Uh, um. That lady was causing some trouble uh, in your era, your dorm, uh, that crazy lady. They moved that person out of my room today, thank God. That was like pulling teeth. She's a very, I mean, nobody wants to have her. And so they were able to do it, but she messed up really bad on Friday, and it went all the way up to the program office with Janet. So they said, no, you got to go. You can't be in this room anymore. And my housing staff, really had my back tough. So they did a little swap, and I'm happy as can be. It is so nice in here right now. It's so calm and quiet and easygoing, and it just feels like somebody came in with a backhoe and shoveled out a bunch of crap. How many people are in that area? Uh, I thought you said there were eight, I believe, eight or nine? No, there's only four. Well, there's a room for that, but there's only four of us. And each person has an empty top bunk, and we're all, like, in the four corners. Do you know what I mean? Nice. Oh, definitely nice. great. I only want four people in with me, but I don't really have control over that. Sure. But that's my optimum is four. And I'm in the ADA room, and pretty much all of us are ADA, three of us in real chronos. And because people are weird about living with a transgender, it's not like the people are lined up to move in here, which is cool. I'm happy with that. How's your uh, friend Eva doing there? You know, Eva's good. She picked the worst bunk and let all of the rest of us have a better bunk. What makes one bunk better than another? Well, two in the corner have windows, and the other two are on the hallway side, and one's against the wall, and then one is one is mm-hmm. It's the freeway. However, the one advantage to one is nobody ever moves up to one up. So you never get a bunkie. Uh, and we arranged it so she has two full lockers to put all the stuff and extra stuff and whatever. And so she's set over there because she's got a lot of paperwork and she doesn't have, any, have, have to have any of her legal work under the bed because we have it in the extra closet. 
And she's got a little typewriter over there, and, and you know, she's just set up. Oh, that's good. And she seems comfy, and she gets all her... I put a, uh, hooked her up with my cable, so she gets all her channels. And, uh, you know, it's cool. Now, I believe you have an important... Is it, What's that hearing coming up? The Life Without Parole hearing, I think it is? It's a lot parole hearing, so that I can... I could petition to come before the board as an LWOP, and then they can, you know, like make recommendations mm-hmm. and maybe make my commutation go. Nice. And I've got another two weeks, probably right after Thanksgiving, hopefully right before, um, I will have all my stuff done for, there's a lot of, lot of stuff mm-hmm. uh, that I've been working on, but I've, I've got two modules to do. <clears throat> it's a lot of writing to submit for my commutation and then I'm just hoping to get all the support stuff done you know from you guys mm-hmm. and then it's going to be put together so send me my copy for my approval and then once we make those last minute changes then I'm going to send it to my a copy to my lawyer friend and see if he has any changes and then uh, submit it before the end of the year yeah, I'm just really happy. That'll be a load off my back. It's done, and it'll be, it's set up so good. I mean, so much work and um, writing and um, deep, deep stuff that's mm-hmm. appropriate, like board ready. Like, I could probably take this packet to board. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so this lady I don't even know gifted me this opportunity. It was $3,000. Wow, that's amazing. What a blessing. It is a blessing, and she just uh, got to know me and really believed in me and did it, and I was like, oh my God. You know? Mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, what a blessing. Oh, yeah. I'm just amazed. Amazed mm-hmm. that anyone would be, even do that for me. No, sure, of course. So, yeah. Definitely. And um, other than that, I just, um, oh, the BA program. That is awesome. What uh, what classes are you taking? Well, right now I'm only taking anthropology theory. Oh, just one, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a little dry. But um, I end up getting into it. It's just hard at first, but then I get and then it's like, oh, this is really interesting, and it just kicks me out of here. Mm-hmm. And it's it's more of like a cultural, socio, uh, sociology type aspect of anthropology, mm-hmm. and it's really cool. And it's like from the 1800s forward, and so there's a lot of different things to think about and stuff I didn't realize, and historical stuff, and um, so I really enjoy it. And um, we have to just write on our little reading assignments once a week. And I have a paper to put out, which uh, I need to start working on mm-hmm. next week. And uh, I just need to get my as much as I can from commutation out between now and Sunday. Sure. And, um, and so I'm busy. Just between those two things, I'm busy. And it's cool because they give us a laptop to do college on. A real one. Are they giving you Wi-Fi there yet? The only Wi-Fi we have here is for school, and I have to go to this one little spot in the day room to send my homework in. But I feel like a big girl, and I'm learning, you know, and, but I'm learning all that technology stuff, so that's really fun. Mm-hmm. And I can, I take it all over. I can do it in my room. I, I can 
wherever. And like right now, talking to you with my feet up on my mattress, having some tea. <laughs> Great. Uh, you working on any new artwork? Um, I'm going to try and do some over the holidays. Nice. I'm going to try and do some holiday cards, at least some holiday cards, you know. But as far as a big painting, probably not. So mm-hmm. After the commutation stuff. Now, I can handle it with school, uh-huh. but the commutation thing, that is more work in it than this class. And then I take two more modules, and what the training is, is I'm writing an insight statement, which is the story of my character defects. So I'm writing like a paper of... Um, what happened to me as a child, how it uh, made my character defects bloom and be reinforced, and then to connect those to my crime. Well, there you have it, a little bit of my conversation with Dana Gray. Uh, a big thanks to her for being so kind and generous with her time and allowing me to share this conversation with you guys, from artwork to skydiving, from the schooling. Um, and you got to remember, even the little things like uh, technology. Some of these people have been in there so many years and even decades. Um, they've never used a laptop before and uh, learned how to browse the internet or what Google is or TikTok and all these uh, sites. Uh, but she's coming a long way emotionally and spiritually. She didn't even believe in God when I first started talking to her. Now she does. Um, so again, thanks for all you guys. Thanks for uh, following on to my podcast. Again, this is the only podcast where the serial killers call into the show. So until next time, see you later. 